Hello and welcome once again to A Functional Approach with Dr. Jim Chaltis. I am Dr. Jim Chaltis and today I want to discuss sauna. Uh, it is something I've kind of mentioned a few times in uh, passing in some past episodes, but, um, but alas, here we are. We're going to talk about sauna. Uh, what is it? Uh, what are the different ways people can kind of, um, you know, uh, get into like a, a deliberate heat exposure environment? There are different ways to do such. Um, what are the benefits? Why would somebody want to sit in such a hot temperature and um, and quite literally suffer in a lot of ways? Um, I want to talk about all that. There There is a method to that madness, and it is well supported by the medical literature. Uh, we will only scratch the surface today but I want to highlight some main points, you know, because in a functional approach to wellness, we're always looking for those things that, um, that are going to be natural, you know, uh, not pharmaceutical based if possible, um, that are going to be accessible. And things like sauna is, is typically an accessible um, thing for people to do. I myself, um, get to a sauna through a local YMCA. So for the cost of my monthly, you know, plan, I get to use a sauna as often as I want. I have been sitting in, in that sauna between 40 and 60 minutes a week, I would say on average, um, 40, 45 is probably more typical. Uh, but that is, um, certainly enough to, to start to promote all of the health benefits that I'm about to um, describe. So that's something I've been doing now myself for the past three months or so. Um, as a result, and maybe you heard my previous episodes about my cardiology story, um, <clears throat> that got me my YMCA membership. Um, and I've been at the gym regular, and it just so happens that one of the locations I go to has this wonderful sauna. Uh, and so that, that's become a wonderful part of my week. I, I really look forward to it. Um, I'm always shocked about how much I sweat, you know, in, in the detoxification episode I recently posted, you know, we talked about sweating as a, as a primary detoxification pathway, right? So I, I can tell you, I, I don't, I don't know if you can really feel toxic at like a cellular level, maybe unless you're poisoned or something, but my skin has changed over the past, you know, few months. It's softer, you know, it just feels plumper and healthier in a lot of ways. Um, and I attribute that to this, this frequent and rather intense sweating. Uh, of course, I'm replacing that water, you know, avidly. Um, but uh, yeah, there's something to it. So let me talk about some, some sauna concepts first. I mean, we're all kind of vaguely aware of it. Uh, there's different ways to do it in different cultures, perhaps. Um, you know, there's, there's new infrared saunas, but, you know, a lot of times when we think about it, we think about this kind of like Finnish style sauna, uh, you know, from Finland, and you will be met with temperatures, you know, upwards or somewhere between, on average, 170 degrees and somewhere around 200 degrees. I've heard of saunas going a little hotter than that. Um, they're not for the timid or the, or the newbie. Um, the sauna that I sit in at the YMCA here in La Jolla um, is usually about 190 degrees. And 
that depends on how many people have opened the door. Uh, if you get there in the morning after no one's been in, it, it might be closer to 195, and that is a noticeable difference from, let's say, 185. Um, but I'm averaging somewhere in the high 180s to low 190s. And uh, in that kind of condition, perhaps depending on what I just did, right? Like, did I just go spin cycle for 45 minutes and already lose a ton of water and already get overheated? If so, I might not be able to tolerate quite as long in the sauna when I do. Um, if it's just a gentle weightlifting day or if, I, if I've gone just for the sauna without any exercise, I can usually do multiple rounds uh, of sauna and uh, I find that to be very nice. Uh, I will typically go anywhere between 15 to 20 minutes per session. Um, there are days where it maybe it's a little hotter, maybe I worked out harder, and a 15-minute session, one and done, is enough. I don't feel um, safe to go farther than that, perhaps, right? Like, I, you know, you got to watch out. There are risks involved with sauna. Um, for me, it, I might just start to feel a little bit uh, kind of lightheaded feeling or, uh, you know, your heart really does start to pound. And, and we'll talk about the cardiovascular impacts and benefits of sauna. But sometimes it's that. It's it's the discomfort in the chest and like, you know, and discomfort in the head that's really telling you it's time to go. So um, I pay close attention to that and do not push myself beyond my limits. Um, sometimes it's 15 minutes. Um, other times it's multiple rounds. A common thing for me to do is maybe do a 15-minute push um, if I know I'm going to do a second round and then I, I get out for five to 10 minutes, I usually will take a cold shower and do like a rapid cooling as much as I can, wait for my heart rate to kind of calm back down and then back in I go. Uh, and, and typically that will usually be about a 10 minute uh, experience. So, you know, maybe that day I, I just spent 25 minutes um, in roughly 190 degrees. Um, that's what the literature shows, you know, really, really helps with all of the things we're about to discuss. I promise we will. Now, another really, really common thing people are doing these days is um, perhaps you go to a facility that has one of these infrared saunas, but you can buy an infrared sauna for your home. Um, this is usually just kind of like a, maybe like a, the size of a stall shower, like a one-person shower. Um, it, it can just plug into the wall, and these don't tend to get quite as hot. Um, I, I would say typically 140, 150, something like that, which is still significant. I mean, when you tell somebody that you're going into a 190-degree sauna, they're usually shocked, and in, they don't really believe you. Like They're like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> I had a friend whose, whose brother is an MD, um, and he told his brother about the sauna and he said 190 degrees and the brother just flat out denied that it was possible. You can't do that. You would be sick if you were, you know, well, as it turns out, yeah, you can doc. I'm sorry. Um, you gotta be careful and you gotta keep your time down. But, uh, but that is a typical standard, you know, finish style sauna, if not hotter. So the infrareds tend to be a little bit um, cooler. You might spend, you know, 30 minutes or so, you know, definitely more than 15 to 20, uh, and you will get to those those peak levels of, of high thermo uh, exposure, high heat exposure. Um, you can sit in a jacuzzi if you like, uh, you know, any way that you can really get your body temperature up. And, you know, that if you were to, they've done studies where they've inserted <laughs> 
little thermometer probes into places you'd rather them not um, for very accurate readings. And, you know, people will start to elevate their body temperature anywhere, you know, between like 99 degrees, you know, 99 and a half, just maybe like one degree higher, um, up into 102, 103 um, temporarily. And that's really the goal. The goal is to stress the body, right? Stress the body. There's this notion called hormesis. And basically that is anything that is stressful to your system to a point, right? So that the injury does not occur, but, but the body will react to a stressful environment and, and generally make itself stronger. And that's what this is. Uh, you know, you're adding heat stress and you are going to change physiologically as a result of that stress. It just so happens that, you know, that that change is very, very protective. So some things that you can expect uh, from a session in a sauna, you will absolutely notice your heart rate go up. Okay. So, and that's not a bad thing, right? Of course, there are some uh, concerns if, if you are a person that has an unstable cardiac condition, the sauna is not recommended. But even those with cardiovascular diseases, right, provided that they're not unstable, sauna will benefit them, right? This is not a, this is not a deal breaker for cardiovascular patients, but your heart rate will go up and you can make that call as to when that is, is high enough. Maybe your doctor and you can discuss that, but whatever your peak aerobic you know, heart rate is, is a good place to kind of focus. And in fact, sitting in sauna can actually be considered cardiovascular exercise. Clearly, we're not working out our legs or our arms or, you know, our body muscles. We're, we're sitting on our butts in this sauna, but our heart is, is thumping, right? It is, it is working. That heart muscle is working. And that means all of the blood flow feeding the heart is also just open and flowing. So, Sauna can be a wonderful alternative to exercise for those people who can't otherwise exercise. You know, maybe you are broken. <laughs> maybe you have broken your leg or something and you just can't get out on the bike and ride, ride like you used to or run. Um, while you're recovering, not a bad idea to sauna. Keep that cardiovascular fitness up. Or perhaps you are, um, you know, heavier and you have you know, physical issues where you just can't really get to those, those peak cardio ranges. Sauna is a wonderful opportunity for that. So you can expect your heart rate to increase. I check mine periodically and I'm somewhere in like the 145 range. Um, I would say, you know, when it's, when I'm really humming in the, in the sauna, that's a good cardiovascular range for me. Um, now another concept is there's these little proteins in every cell that we have. They're called heat shock proteins. We also have cold shock proteins. I will talk about them when I, when I talk about you know, cold exposure. I'll probably do that next uh, just to stay on the theme of hormesis and you know, physiological stress and resiliency. Uh, but heat shock proteins are, are proteins that are expressed when the body goes through significant heating. Right? So when I say you spike little fevers, you do that while you're working out, by the way, when you're in high cardiovascular aerobic workout, you, you tend to have a higher body temperature, um, but certainly in sauna. So these heat shock proteins are found in every cell of your body, and they do a lot of things for us. 
um, I, I will name three. I, I got to keep it reasonable. Um, one of the things that they do is they really help improve cellular integrity. You know, so whatever cell it is, that cell is going to be stronger and more resilient when there is expression of heat shock proteins. Okay, they they work primarily by protecting the protein structures. Okay, so it's a protein by itself, but it 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 works as sort of like a support or a scaffolding or something for the other proteins in the cell. Um, there is this, you know, unfortunate phenomenon of aging and various um, neurological diseases, you know, Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease specifically, um, that the hallmark is protein misfolding. They're finding some um, contrary concepts now in Alzheimer's, but but I do believe that this concept holds true in general. If a protein has a function and its structure dictates that function and it misfolds, if something happens to that protein where now it looks different, okay, and we're talking at a molecular level, then that protein can't carry out the function that it once did. And so what happens to the function of the cell? What happens to the health of the cell? Right, um, you know the question is, is obvious. Of course, that cell falters and perishes at a quicker rate. Um, so Parkinson's disease, you know, is uh, hallmarked by this protein misfolding, and the the nerve cells become so clogged and tangled with this basically waste protein that the cell just dies. And now that person can't make dopamine, and they can't move their bodies, and their brain deteriorates. Right. So that's an exaggerated, you know, um, concept. But all cells can suffer from protein misfolding. In the presence of heat shock proteins, that does not occur at nearly the same rate. It's protective. And we're not even talking about longevity specifically here in this podcast. We're talking about, you know, the benefits of, of sauna, right, and, and a deliberate heat exposure. Um, one of those primary benefits is upregulation, meaning the, the activation, the production of heat shock proteins. The more heat shock proteins you have in the cell, the more protected that cell is, the less protein folding, the, the longer it lives. That's longevity, right? Um, it also helps improve the body to stress. So when we're, when we're making heat shock proteins, then random stresses that would otherwise come in, right, and, and maybe harm that cell or, or just throw that person off, um, doesn't have the same physiological impact. So that's it. The question becomes in, in concepts around, you know, wellness or, um, you know, longevity, right, <laughs> or health span. You've heard me say that word, health span. How long can we live the healthiest? Um, it has to do with resiliency. Resiliency to a great many things, right? We have immune resiliency, sleep resiliency, hot and cold resiliency, physical resiliency. You know, there's lots of ways that we can be either resilient or not to our environment. And heat is one thing. I mean, it, it's. I have personally been hiking in the desert with people, and way sooner than you think, they're starting to get flushed and sweaty and starting to feel lightheaded, and they are succumbing to heat exhaustion. We're talking about 103 degree temperatures and they walked half a mile. It's, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable, but they, they in theory should have more resiliency than that.
So training your body to understand hot environments protects you in that eventuality that you might find yourself in of, oh crap, I just got, my, my car just broke down on my way to Vegas and now I'm on the grade and it is 115 degrees outside. And yeah, I've got some soda that I bought at the gas station, but I didn't really bring a gallon of water. You know, I mean, that that's a real life scenario, right? I have gotten myself into trouble in the desert as well. Backpacking by myself, of course, <laughs> like a, like, I don't know, some people would call a fool, but, but that was what I chose to do. And um, I became dehydrated, even though I was drinking water, it, I, I got backed up on it and it wasn't that hot, but I felt the effects of heat stress and dehydration setting in. Having a background and a strong, stable base of deliberate heat exposure protects you, right? We can talk about all these fancy, you know, um, blood chemistry concepts and wellness-based concepts, but just like I talked about in my rucking episode about core stability and balance and bone strength, right? It's, it's those odd experiences in life that hit us blindside that might just kill us, right? It has nothing to do with wellness. It has to do with resiliency and preparedness for those things you're not expecting, right? That is a very realistic cause of death in a lot of people. And they could be the healthiest person on the planet otherwise, but they succumbed to heat exhaustion in the desert, right? I, I'm dramatic, but I'm not joking, okay? It's a serious concept uh, for me as a healthcare professional. How is that person tolerating their environment, right? That's a big deal. So those are some basic concepts there about, you know, um, what happens as a physiological uh, reaction to this heat, heat stress. Um, another one is that the body actually registers this, this kind of stress and it responds in an anti-inflammatory way. It activates genes. So the heat stress activates gene expression, right? Genetic expression. There's, there's one in particular called NRF2, N-R-F2. And when that gene activates, it does a million things, of course, like most genes do. But one of the primary things it does is activate endogenous, meaning your own self-production, antioxidants, which makes sense. The, the cell is stressed. We need to protect it, right? And so it, we launch this, this protective um, you know, compound into the system. Usually it's things like glutathione, which I will talk about in another episode. Um, but there's others. And... The same thing happens with exercise. A, a good exercise where you haven't overworked, you haven't overtrained, the net result is anti-inflammation. Even though exercise is an inflammatory, destructive process, you're breaking cells, you're working muscle tissue, right? And then you rebuild them and you get stronger. But in the process, if you've done it correctly, you experienced anti-inflammation, right? Which is why exercise and sauna and all those things that trigger your body to naturally anti-inflame have such wonderful benefits for all medical conditions, right? All of them. Cardiovascular, absolutely. Autoimmune, yes. <laughs> um, you know, depression, anything neurological, yes. All those things have been shown to benefit from this type of thing. Um, on the inflammation concept too, we actually start to produce little immune messaging molecules, messengers um, called interleukin six and 10, uh, you know, the interleukin six, sorry for all the 
lingo. But interleukin-6 is an inflammatory cytokine. It's an inflammatory signaler that, that tells the body we're under attack. Interestingly, sauna has been shown to reduce interleukin-6. Interleukin-6 is just a common one. It's a nasty one. It, it's, it's very um, active in a lot of you know, autoimmune mechanisms and you know, a lot of the diseases that get us in the end, you can find interleukin-6 expressed. So we need to do things to help lower that, right? Sauna has been shown to do that. There's an anti-inflammatory one called interleukin-10. It's been shown to turn that one up. So we're having this balancing effect of, of signaling that helps us anti-inflame, and as well as production of anti-inflammatory things, antioxidant production on top of that. So net result is, um, you know, you're going to start creating heat shock proteins, which is going to protect against, you know, protein misfolding and, and cellular stability and all that good stuff. Um, you're going to start turning up antioxidant loads and you're going to, by activating NERF2, for example, and you're going to start turning down inflammatory signaling. And, you know, like I say, some of these medical conditions are just rife with inflammatory signals, right? It's just, they're just in a feed forward vicious cycle of inflammation type one or type two diabetes, for example, uh, you know, it's just an inherently inflammatory condition. And so what, what can we do, right, to, to start turning those knobs just a little bit, or maybe a lot bit, and how many knobs can we turn, right, realistically for that case? Sauna is a kind of a no-brainer, uh, in my opinion. Uh, now, let me talk a little bit more about the tissue level benefit. So that's kind of like just that physiology in the background. Um, I mentioned a minute ago that sauna can actually mimic cardiovascular exercise, and I'm not joking about that. Um, it does that in many, many ways. So like I said, your heart rate is going to increase. You're going to hit target cardiovascular um, heart rate, and that's going to strengthen the muscle itself. So if you have a weak heart muscle, you can end up with what's called heart failure. It does, it, heart failure is not a heart attack. The, the heart muscle did not get a clot and then starve of oxygen and blood and die. That, that, that's a myocardial infarction. Um, sauna protects against that as well. But, but heart failure, very common. Basically, think of it as just a weak heart muscle. You know, if you're just lethargic and you sit around and you have a lifestyle for whatever reason, you, you aren't exercising your cardiovascular system, then that heart can become weaker and weaker. And of course, the older we get, you know, things get weaker and weaker. Uh, and so next thing you know, you can't pump blood from your feet up to your heart again, right? And so where does it go? We've all seen those people with ankles like elephants, right? I mean, you know, you get edema in the lower leg. It's typically, there's other reasons for it, but that's, that's typically a heart failure condition. You know, there's just not enough oomph to get that blood going all the way back up north, right? Um, we need a strong heart for that. Sometimes if it gets bad enough, that, that blood and that fluid can back up into the lungs. And so you end up with edema in your lungs and fluid in the lungs. And, um, and that is a very, very bad sign. Um, very life-threatening, in fact. So, you know, having a heart failure, even mild, is enough to take away years of life and certainly health span, right? You, if you have this condition, you're not a vital person who's out hiking mountains, right? You prefer to sit because, frankly, that's what you can do.
you know. Um, you must get the heart moving in order to fix that safely, effectively, slow and sure, right? So the sauna helps in that respect. Now, it also helps with um, endothelial function. The endothelium is that inner lining of the artery or the blood vessel, right? Um, I always like to kind of say like our blood vessels aren't just hoses that carry blood around. They're not that simple. They're, they're very dynamic structures. And the endothelial lining, that, that little, you know, the, the, the part that touches the blood is considered to be one of the largest endocrine glands that we have, really. It's, it's more of a gland. It's, it's massive because it covers our whole entire body. And it, it's essential for so many things, but primarily in a cardiovascular sense, the ability to dilate and constrict our blood vessels appropriately. Right. That's huge when we're talking about um, high blood pressure, hypertension, right? How many people do you know that are on high blood pressure medication? <laughs> Maybe you are on high, pressure, high blood pressure medication. What that tells us is that you have a sick endothelium. It's not healthy. You lack the control or that person lacks the control. And therefore, they, they end up with you know, pressures in those arteries that are damaging all by themselves to the body at whole, but also continually damaging to that endothelial lining. It's not meant to be along that kind of pressure. So we need to do things that help dilate and, and help stimulate endothelial function. Sauna does that. So does exercise, of course. Of course. Um, it, it helps release something called endothelial, endothelium, right? Nitric oxide synthase. Enos, spoken about it once or twice. Uh, Enos is an essential you know, um, enzyme that works with the blood gas nitric oxide that controls blood vessel control and dilation and all that stuff. So sauna does this, right? What else does that besides exercise? There really aren't too many drugs that target that. Interestingly, the Viagra class can do that, but they also can bring with them some negatives. <laughs> so I don't necessarily recommend Viagra for, for this, um, not when you can do sauna. And guess what? Sauna is going to help circulation in all peripheral tissues, folks. Um, if you catch my drift, you exercise, you do sauna, right? You remain healthy and, and typically you have circulation, whatever body part you're looking to have it in. Uh, okay. On strengthening the, the heart, um, you know, you can also increase the stroke volume. So how much blood is squirting out per, per beat, right? And the force in which that does that. So if you can increase your stroke volume and, and, and force, your heart doesn't have to beat as often. So, you know, take the pulse of any, you know, high endurance athlete and they have a resting heart rate of like 55 or something. You know, it's really, really nice and low. Where the average person sitting around might be in the 70s, 80s. Um, I've been able to get mine down over the last few months into like the low 60s, just hanging out. I consider that successful. That, that protects my heart. It's working efficiently. Right. Um, another thing that happens when you're really working with that that endothelial function and, and getting that blood flow to just course through at a, at a faster rate is you're breaking down plaque. Right. So now we're talking about those. How do I protect myself against the number one killer of all humans worldwide, which is heart attack or cardiovascular disease in general, but certainly heart attacks, um, plaquing in the heart arteries. Right. Those coronary arteries. 
it gets to be too much and it occludes or it breaks free and it blocks downstream and then that area dies. That's your heart attack, right? myocardial heart infarction, death. Right? So we want to do things that helps break down plaque, exercise, anything that raises your heart rate, right? Sauna does that for you. I have a one-year goal I discussed in my cardiology story that I'm going to recheck my, my coronary artery and see if that little bitty plaque that I found last time dissolves. I'm, I'm thinking it might. I've got, I've got high hopes. I've been working hard on it. Okay. Um, we talked about the lowering inflammation piece, um, but that is absolutely something that happens at a tissue level all through the body. Okay. That takes time to redevelop these healthier tissues, but if you do anything regularly for long enough, you will see benefit. Um, that can be pain, that can be brain fog, that can be driving autoimmunity, that could be driving cardiovascular or cancer, all that stuff. That's what I mean when I say lowering inflammation. Lowering interleukin-6 and others, you know, activating NERF-2 and creating antioxidants. Every concept that gets us in the end benefits from that. Now, from more of a brain-based perspective, there is something called brain-derived neurotropic factor, BDNF. I will do an episode on this specifically, but BDNF is essential for brain function, brain health, uh, brain longevity. Um, we must have it. It gets turned up by sauna, right? By cardiovascular exercise. All those things right, that activate blood flow and circulation and ENOS and, you know, good stuff, right? There is a lot of other things that can help. Acupuncture has been shown to help with BDNF, interestingly. Um, but that's a biggie, right? Because now you have somebody who is, let's say, in their 50s and they're starting to miss where they put their car keys and they're like, they're noticing Right? They're in early stages of neurological decline, perhaps. That is not uncommon. I hear 35-year-olds complaining of it. Okay, um, We all understand what that feels like. Sometimes you're just tired and you can't remember stuff. Um, or you're overly stressed. Some people live that way all the time. Right? They, they need activation of BDNF. They need circulation to their brain. They need to rehabilitate and, and protect those neurons. They need to upregulate heat shock proteins in their brain right? Very important concept. So when you do that, when you increase BDNF, you help with increasing neurogenesis, which is the, you know, production of, of new uh, brain cells, which you can't do to a massive degree. If you have a hole in your brain, you can't just regrow the tissue like if you had a hole in your liver. But there are ways that the nerves can repair themselves and, and branch out and to some degree form new ones, but, uh, but it's very slight. But we need BDNF for that purpose, to even just to create new synapses with other, new connections with other neurons. We must have BDNF. Um, this is essential in protecting against neurological decline, neurodegenerative disease. Right? They find when they do the studies that people that are going through neurodegeneration have lower levels of BDNF. Right? We need to keep those elevated. Um, there is evidence that diseases like, you know, major depressive disorder, you know, uh, bipolar disorder, all, all of that depression family, and even anxiety, basically what those conditions are telling us is that the brain is, is not as healthy as it could be. And so what, what's the outcome? The outcome is decreased function, right? Decreased 
you know, neurotransmitter expression and reception, we can't feel the, the happy chemicals, so we're depressed, right? Major depression doesn't just mean you had a bad day or that maybe somebody you love died and so you're sad. That's all understandable. It's, it's long-term. It, it, it oftentimes has no reason. You know, you just aren't happy. You, you find no joy. That, that's a neurological concept, right? Um, BDNF helps with that. It helps protect against depression, right? It's a sign of a healthy brain. Another concept that it does is it helps with naturally occurring opioids, right? Not the kind you swallow in pill form, but the kind you make naturally. And that helps us with our mental emotional health, certainly. Uh, you know, pleasure reward concepts that, that are healthy for us. We get that with exercise. We get that with sauna because you just stressed yourself. So your body is going to compensate you with this opiate re release. Um, of course, that does not happen in any kind of a dangerous way. Um, in fact, quite the opposite. It really helps with um, inflammation and perception of pain and, um, you know, the management of immune function. So, for example, an autoimmune person doesn't have appropriate immune function. They attack themselves inappropriately. And what they find is these little opioids in our body help to regulate the immune system so that it doesn't do that not as aggressively at least right? there are some pharmaceutical drugs that are um, that are kind of analogs to that low dose naltrexone for example is an opiate class it's very very low dose in this case and it kind of mimics that um, but hey you can exercise and you can sit in a sauna and you can get a very similar effect right and as well as all the other benefits so that's my that's my uh, inclination personally um, now I'm almost done but a couple other things you will increase your physical endurance right this in general because what is endurance anyways I mean certainly your muscle tissue if it's weak then you just you poop out your muscles can't move which is why you want to work them and exercise of course but you might also poop out because your heart isn't pumping effectively it's just not strong so you'll find a benefit in your physical endurance good to couple exercise and sauna you will get most out of both if you do that um, but if it's a brain mechanism if you're low on bdnf for example uh, and you're low on circulation to your brain you will become fatigued more easily your brain cells are fatigable in that case so by by regular sauna you've protected the brain cells you've increased blood flow you know you've stimulated bdnf production Right. Neurologically now, that person should end up with less fatigue, more endurance when needed. Right. And then very, very finally here, um, it's been shown to conserve muscle tissue. So as we age, we tend to lose muscle mass. It actually is one of the most predictive factors in, in our death is, is this notion of sarcopenia, loss of muscle tissue. Right. And you know, you, you can see them. The more thin and frail you get, if something happens to that person, if they fall, if they get into a car accident, if they get cancer, if they have a heart attack, any of that. And they are sarcopenic, meaning they have lost muscle tissue. The chances that they won't make it through go up dramatically. Hands down, we need muscle. Um, you know, grip tests or hanging tests, you know, to see if you can 
do certain physically challenging things are very, very predictive of, of longevity, right? So we need to do things that help conserve muscle breakdown. And guess what? The heat shock proteins are there for us, right? They are there for us and we need to express them freely. So um, sauna, sauna does all those things. I think that is enough. I think that's enough. If I have not inspired you to go find a sauna, um, I don't know what to tell you. It's a, you, you can't take it up with one of the Finnish or the Swedes or something. Maybe they'll, they'll convince you. Um, many of the Asian cultures will do that. I also go in your city, you might have, you know, like a Korean spa. Very common to have um, Korean spas and they will have usually um, hot sauna, like a dry sauna. Uh, they might have a steam room too. I prefer the dry myself. And a cold plunge. That's what I'm missing from the YMCA. They don't have a cold plunge. Um, I will talk about that next, uh, the next episode. But it's, it's really great when you can use both together. And one, because it helps you go back and forth and not, you know, not fall apart from one or the other. Um, but you start activating both heat and cold shock proteins at the same time. So, hey, if you don't have access to a sauna at your gym, perhaps, and you don't want to spend the few thousand bucks and get an infrared for your house, um, then seek out a seek out a, a Korean spa or, or, or something like that. You might just find them close by. Um, I do hope that helps. I hope that, that you find that interesting. Um, it's difficult, but wonderful. And um, even my wife, uh, she reluctantly joined me. She, she spent uh, two times in the sauna with me so far. She lasts between five and 10 minutes, which is about appropriate when you're first starting out. And um, the last time she went in, she kind of said, yeah, I, I think I kind of get it. I think I kind of like it. So you might just like it too. Okay. Take care, everybody. Be well. Go sauna. And I'll talk to you again next time. My name is Dr. Jim Cheltis, and this is A Functional Approach. Bye-bye.